feel like I've gotten the whole treatment today. To be really honest with you, you know, we could just go home. Have an altar call and go home. want to say something before we begin. The cross is not a pretty thing. In our Western culture and in our and the way we conveniently compartmentalize things in our head and the way we deal with stuff is we put psychologically we'll put a we'll put a neat little package on everything. The cross wasn't a band-aid for a little cut. The cross was a full bore, 100% complete sacrifice for the sin of the world. It was ugly. It was nasty. It was not neat. And what we saw on the screen, although it was, it was graphic, I do not think for a minute that that will even do it justice as to what happened. I don't think, I, I really, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to be frank with you, I don't know that God really wants us to know. That's why we are finite, that's why we're limited. I think if we really knew, I just don't know. I just don't know, but I just, I, I, I'm thinking that right now, you know, that's about as far as I want to go with letting the reality of the cross touch me where I am. I'll just be frank with you. I can't, <laughs> I can't go much beyond that. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I hope you have experienced in a variety of different ways a little bit about what he's done for you. You see, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to embrace everything that he is, and he wants you to embrace everything that he's done for you. So I encourage you today to receive him. We'll have, a, we'll have an altar call in just a little while, but I just want to lay the stage for this, that what has been done here this morning is to bring us to a full awareness of what he's done. And if you don't know Jesus right now, you need to settle that in your heart. Right where you are, you just say, Jesus, forgive me. Uh, come into my life. Save me from my sin. I'm yours. And that's, 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 about, good as you, that's about good as you can do. And he'll do that. Now, in some cases, a lot of us kind of, when we come to Jesus and we get involved in life and living and stuff, he kind of becomes distant to us. and We may just kind of fall off the Jesus wagon. So today, if you've been away from him for a while, he loves you just as much now as he did the first time you embraced him. He's not stopped loving you. He's not stopped extending his love to you. Regardless of where you've been and what you've done, regardless of how young or how old you are, regardless of where you are in life, Jesus has never given up on you. Now, you could have given up on him a little, but he's never given up on you. And so today as we come to celebrate what he's done, uh, we're going to look at some things in the scripture. Now, you consider this. As we're going to look at some things, and um, we're going to go. I, I've, <clears throat> I've sort of titled this uh, The Power of His Resurrection, and there's, there's two or three ways I can go. And to be honest with you, I'm not completely settled on a check. 
That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I started to call it something really strange is going on in the graveyard. Let's, let's, let's go there right now, okay? Matthew 27. I don't think I gave this to Janie. She's going to put some scripture up on the wall. But let me just kind of pull this thing out here. Something really strange is going on in the graveyard. <laughs> now, I think it's Matthew 27. I'm so muddled up right now. It's, just, it's amazing I could even stand here and know what I'm doing. See, Jesus messes me up. I mean, you may be all neat and little, your little package with Jesus, but he just totally messed me up, okay? He get me where my mind don't think, my mouth don't work. He get me where I can't hardly stand up, sometimes be a little woozy and stuff. And, you know, my eyes get blurry. I'm just telling you the truth. Jesus messed me up. Now, let's start off. Let's start off this morning. We saw a, a scene of the crucifixion. Um, let's, where we, we saw... The last scene was Jesus being, his pole being placed in the, in the ground and his, his, his eye looking all around. Um, let's go in the scripture to where everything comes to its conclusion on Golgotha. Okay, Matthew 27, 47 through 56. Okay, that'll be all right. Y'all just listen. We'll do this the old-fashioned way. Matthew 27, verse 47 through 57. And some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calls for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, Let be, let's see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Oh, I like this. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The rocks rent. An earthquake, listen to me. The power of glory, an earthquake, did not split the earth open, but what it did rather, it ripped open a Jewish temple between the holy and the most holy place, and then it took out this power on the rocks on Jerusalem's hill. Nowhere does it say the earth rent like an earthquake would. You see, God did a supernatural thing when Jesus died. The creation, listen to me, the creation actually had a reaction to the death of its creator. The creation and the creator had been together, so to speak, had been in contact with each other from the moment God called everything into being. But now was the first time in history when the one who created was separated from its creation or his creation. And the creation that he made had a reaction. It, it, re, it, it, it had a, re, a revolting. It had... There was something, there was a cataclysmic something or another in some quantum physical realm that we know very little about. Something happened and the earth reacted to the death of her maker. You ever thought about that? And to be standing there with this earthquake going on and rocks splitting open. 
and the earth remaining intact doesn't say anywhere any buildings collapsed. This was a supernatural earthquake. <laughs> now, Matthew, as he's recording this, he sort of gives a commentary. As a matter of fact, this would probably be better off in parentheses, this next statement, but it's not. And you have to read it in how it's written in the text to know that he's not talking about something that this next thing I'm going to read, he's not talking about something that, that just uh, happened then. It's, it's three days later at the resurrection. So he skips from the, the moment of Jesus' death to an event that happened immediately when the resurrection occurred. Listen to this. Three, fast forward three days. Jesus' resurrection. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, in another place, we'll probably read that in just a minute, you'll see that when Jesus died, an earthquake happened. And when Jesus was resurrected, another earthquake happened. The earth shook. And when the earth shook during Jesus' resurrection... That was another reaction of the creation receiving the life of its creator again. You, you, you hear me this? The, create, the creation was actually set back in connection with its creator and the earth shook again. Now when Jesus came out of the grave on the resurrection day, it not only, I mean he didn't just come out of the grave, there were some other folks came out of the grave. And this is where I started to name this message something really strange is going on in the graveyard. Now, I read Scripture in a weird way. I really do. I mean, I read it and I try to get in my head, I try to wrap my brain around what's being said, and, and sometimes it'll totally blow your mind as to what's really going on. We're going to talk this morning about the power of Jesus' resurrection in just a little bit. But I wanted to kind of carry you here to show you about, to just get your head fastened on this idea, that when the, the power of Jesus' resurrection, when he came from the grave, was so strong, there was such a cataclysmic event that happened in that graveyard that it brought to life people who had been dead. And those people who had been dead and were brought to life then went into the city of Jerusalem and began to testify to people. Now, if you've ever been to, to Golgotha or the garden tomb, the garden tomb is about, what, Janie, 50 yards down from Golgotha. It's very close proximity to Golgotha. Uh, it was the tomb of uh, Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich guy. He gave this unused tomb to bury Jesus in. Now, I'm, I'm just going to kind of digress for a minute, okay? We're just going to have just a wee little bit of fun before we get really serious. <laughs> <laughs> I call the place where Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was located in the cemetery, I call that the high rent district of the cemetery. Okay, I mean, he had, he had the best spot. And the better the spot, the more it cost. Okay, Now, it would just stand to reason that those tombs located near Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, which he gave to Jesus to be buried in, it would stand to reason that that was the high rent district. And so here's what I'm thinking. When these people were raised from the dead, you know, Jesus' tomb being the epicenter, and for I don't know how 
broad of a, an area this covered, but the power of heaven came so extraordinarily strong and, and quick and, and powerful in that moment that sort of like a, this tsunami of power went through the graveyard and those dead bodies reacted. And they had to come to life. They had no choice because of the power of God present. Now I tend to think if it was a high rent area of the cemetery that uh, maybe some of the folks that went back into the Jerusalem, maybe it was a former mayor. Okay? I mean, just, just you, you use your head just a minute. Like I said, this is completely me. It's not scripture. It's just me. Maybe it was a former mayor. Maybe, maybe there was a high priest or two in the crowd. Now, wouldn't that be something? An Orthodox Jewish priest coming out of the grave. <laughs> He's kind of looking around. But he knows what happened, see, because it was a spirit thing before it became a physical thing. Looking around. And then he goes into Jerusalem, and the former high priest sees him. Yeah, maybe. Or somebody from the temple service sees him. And they begin freaking out, you know, because this guy's supposed to be dead. Maybe there were some businessmen. Maybe there were some, some, some ladies, some moms, some homemakers. But as these people, we don't know how many it was, but as these people went back into Jerusalem, you know what they told folks? Because folks, have, once they got over the total shock of it, you know, and, and nobody was drinking that early in the morning. You know, they had, you, know you, you didn't drink during that time period anyway, but nobody was drinking. Everybody was completely sober, so they knew what they were seeing was real. But once they got over the shock and accustomed to it, they said, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be dead. And their testimony is, yeah, we, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Jesus, Yeshua, was resurrected from his grave, the grave that Joseph of Arimathea gave him. And the shock wave was so strong, it just knocked me out of my sleep. <laughs> and here I am. Let me tell you about this Jesus. So they're just going through the streets of Jerusalem telling people about Jesus. Now, you know, only God could think of doing that. You know, oftentimes when we tell this story, we think principally in terms of Jesus being resurrected. But he got a whole bunch of people up when he came that first day. And you know what? That's just a little precursor. That's just a little image. That's just a little glimpse of what's going to happen when Jesus comes in his glory. And he brings with him the souls of those who have departed. And when they get somewhere in the atmosphere, you know, the shofar blasts. Maybe there'll be another earthquake. I don't know. There's going to be something going on. But anyway, the bodies of those who have died will be caught up in the air with the souls of those who have departed. And uh, man, it's going to be a time then. But see, that morning was just a precursor of what's coming. Just a little glimpse of what's coming. But something really strange was going on in the graveyard. And I just think it's a cool thing. That's what I think it was. Yeah, I do. Now see, those of you who, who don't come here very regular or maybe here for the first time, this is what these people have to put up with. Okay, and they're good folks. Thank y'all. Yay, thank you for tolerating me. Now before we get to our main text, I want to just read a narrative in the scripture about that first morning, okay, Matthew 27, okay, yeah, Matthew 28, I'm sorry, 
Are we there? Yeah. Okay. Let's read this. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Now, this, this was somewhere in the time frame all these used-to-be-dead people were walking around Jerusalem, okay? Sort of the same general time frame. Oh, that just makes me think. You know, the Mary and the women and the disciples, when they went back and reported to the disciples that Jesus was out of the grave and he'd been resurrected and they'd seen him and met him and all this kind of stuff, they were hearing the same story that the rest of Jerusalem was beginning to hear. Point here being this is that the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus is not just isolated to what we would call the church or the Christian community. Unfortunately, it's kind of gotten to that uh, in, in the recent past, but the message of the gospel of Jesus is to go beyond where the disciples or the believers or the followers of Jesus are. Okay? And I'm going to just tell you something. I don't know how far your theology goes, but if we fail to do it, God's going to get it done somehow. You hear me? Because he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't stop here with the unbelief of some of his disciples. He bypassed that altogether. He went to the graveyard, raised up people who were Orthodox Jews to go back and witness to Orthodox Jews about the power of Jesus. Isn't that cool? Man, I like that. That'll work for me. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. See there? There's another one. Two of them. Two of them within three days. Because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. Now here's how cool Jesus is. God. You know? From the moment Jesus died, all kinds of weird spiritual phenomena started happening. Okay? There was an earthquake. Now on this day, there's another earthquake. Now all of a sudden there's an angel coming down from heaven. And not only did he come down from heaven, he just, he's just sitting up there coolly like he was at the beach propped up on this, this gravestone. Here he is. Okay? Now. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he's been resurrected just as he said. Now see the angel didn't say he's resurrected because I told you. He said he was crucified and he's resurrected just like he said. And so the angel's just repeating what Jesus said. Come and see the place where he lay. Here's the evidence. Boom. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. In fact, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Listen, I've told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Now, also in, in, in the story, another strange spiritual phenomenon happened. Um, when the angel came down from heaven, the earthquake happened, and he got propped up on that rock he was sitting on, that the keepers, the, the guard that was stationed at the tomb, the, the, the soldiers and whatnot, they all passed out and became as dead men. Can, can, I, can, I, can I just explain something here to you? I'll tell you what I think that was. I think they were overcame by the power of God, flesh, their flesh couldn't stand in his presence, and they fell out in, the, in what we would call, they fell out in the spirit, and they were slain in the spirit, and they were just, they couldn't be woke up because they were in some Holy Spirit la-la place. And so don't freak out when in the presence of the Lord somebody falls down. Okay, just please don't freak. 
is just probably in the presence of Jesus. And that sort of phenomenon is all over the scripture once you begin to look for it and begin to be open to it. So anyway, the point here is, is that all sorts of phenomenon was going on. God acting in an unusual way because some, some primary event that had never happened before is now taking place that's going to set history for the rest of, the, rest of time eternal. And so God did some stuff, okay? So don't be afraid when God begins to do stuff. When God begins to do stuff around you sort of miraculously, and, and stuff like that, don't get all freaked out. What that means is God's fixing to do something for you. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Okay. And as they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. And after the priest had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And told them, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. Now, you know what they would have done under ordinary circumstances? Now, here we see a bribery going on. The guards who had fallen asleep under the power of the Holy Spirit, they had fell down there. Under ordinary situations, they'd been given a guard of a body or a guard of something. What would happen if the thing they were guarding disappeared? They were, had their, they were killed. They were executed pretty much on the spot. Now, what would have happened? Now, they had, to, they had to make up a plan. What would have happened if, let's just, just think with me here. What would have happened if they had followed their usual procedure and killed the guard? What, would, what, what kind of message would that have sent to the people? You ever thought about this? Okay. If they had executed the guard like they normally would have because they allowed this thing they were guarding to be taken away, and the people in charge would have killed the guard, it would have sent a message to the people that, yes, he got away. <laughs> the people would have given more credence to the testimony of Jesus that was beginning to flow into the general public that, yes, he was resurrected. And so they couldn't follow plan A. They had to come up with a plan B. They didn't want the Jewish people coming to belief in Jesus. So they had to make up a plan B. Plan B was this, is that we've just got a corrupt guard. We're going, to, we're going to tell people this is uh, what happened, um, and therefore everybody will think it's true that the disciples just came and stole them away, and that's your story, and you need to stick to it. And you'll be okay with us, and if the governor gets mad, we'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about being killed. And so they took the money and left, and they apparently were happy. But this, this plan had to be hatched. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came here and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Wow. Now you see, the people who had brought about Jesus' death in the natural, the, 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 the Pharisees and, and the Jewish leadership who operated in league with the Roman government and, and this whole scheme that had been concocted to try to, uh, to kill Jesus, 
Jesus wouldn't be denied his glory. And that's what the resurrection is all about. He would not be denied his glory. Men had to come up with a plan to try to cover things up. But God's plan through the ages has always stood. And I'm going to tell you what, those of you who believe that plan still lives in your heart. That plan lives in your life. And nothing can drag it out and nothing can, can destroy it. Nothing can take it away from you. And so Jesus, as he's given final instructions to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven, he said, here's what I want you to do. And that's what we call the Great Commission is still in effect today. That's what has fired the fuel of evangelism and missionary work and, and gospel activity down through the ages. Now, I happen to believe we're at a place where there's a great shift going on and Jesus is waking his church up again. I believe today, if you allow me to say it this way, there were two earthquakes during the, during the, during the time of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. I believe we're going through a third earthquake today in the spirit realm. Jesus is shaking stuff up. And he's causing people to come to him and to inquire. And he's causing people to believe and to become re-stimulated. You know, you may be a place today where God is just simply re-stimulating you. You may have thought you'd just come into another little Easter service and uh, God's got a hold of you already. Well, he's re-stimulating you. He's invigorating you. He's filling you with his life again. He's filling you with his power. There's something he wants you to hear today. He wants you to hear that he loves you regardless of anything that you've ever done. But also, there is a, there is a power that he has that is accessible and available for you. And that's what I want to look at today. Because you see, if, if we fail to begin to make the next connection, Jesus did all this stuff for us. If we fail to get into some practical ways in which he operates, and some practical ways that he extends to us to tap into who he is, then we've kind of missed the mark, I think. So now, we're going to take an unusual text, an unusual passage. This is where my text is principally today. I'm probably going to take... I'm probably going to take 15 minutes here. And at this point, when I read this text, we're going to become interactive, okay? Is that okay with you? We're going to do that? We're going to take 15 or 20 minutes, and we're going to become interactive. Philippians 3. Beginning in verse 3. This is Paul writing to the Philippians church. Now, Paul had a great relationship with Jesus, wouldn't you say? For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, who boast in Jesus Christ, and who do not put confidence in the flesh. Wow. Ain't that something? Three great bold statements. Yes. Although I once had confidence in the flesh too. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews. In other words, the cream of the crop. As to the law, I am a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness that is in the law, I am blameless. But everything that was a gain to me in my former life, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. 
the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. This is it. Listen to me. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowships of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Yes. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Yes. Go back to verse 10. One slide back. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness of, from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Leave it right there for just a second. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, one of the mistakes that we make as the body of Christ and the people of God is the fact we know a lot about the resurrection story. It's been given to us since we were in Sunday school. It became alive to us when we were born again. It's, it's part of what drew us to Jesus in the first place. And we know a lot about the resurrection because we can read it. And we've heard countless stories and countless sermons and countless Bible study lessons and Sunday school stuff been written on the resurrection of Jesus. We know a lot about the resurrection, but Paul said, my goal is to know him or to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Paul's first and primary obligation was to know Jesus, to have an intimate relationship with him. And not just to know about the resurrection, but to actually be able to experience, to apprehend, to attain, to gain, to lay hold on the power of Jesus' resurrection in his daily life. Do you believe that you need Jesus' power in your daily life? Okay, here's where we go. Some practical ways. Where would we begin, or, or if we look at knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection, knowing the power of his resurrection, where in there, what would we need his power for? Okay? Think about it for a second. What do we need Jesus' power for? Okay, need him just to get out of bed. Sometimes you hurt so bad. In that case, you need to be healed. Okay. We need, we need the power of Jesus' resurrection when we're, when we're battling depression or some psychological attack or emotional attack on our life. Those of you who have been subject to depression and psychological attack, emotional attack from the enemy, uh, and you, you, you've lived in that, wouldn't it be great <laughs> to be able to use the power of Jesus' resurrection and not have to be there again? What else do we need the power of his resurrection for in our daily life? To heal the sick. That is to say, if somebody is blind, lay hands on them. Pray for them. And they be healed. What else? Relationships. 
that's good. We don't often think about needing the power of Christ for relationships now, do we? How would that be worked in a practical way? Specifically. Patience, you know, you know you've got to have patience with me. And I have to have patience with you. I have a different idea than you do. You have a different idea than me. You've got a completely different personality than I have. I'm going to tell you, with me, you've got your hands full. Okay? And so you need a lot of the power of Jesus in your life to be able to deal with me. So therefore, I want you to have the power. God bless him with power in Jesus' name. But you know what I think? And we just kind of, we just kind of run right here. I believe, and I'm not here this morning to give you something you can't carry back with you, to get you all stoked up and nothing to use it for. Here's what I believe. And I'm becoming more and more aware of this the older I get. And that's this. Is that nowhere in my life is the power of Christ needed more desperately than in the power to establish good, healthy relationships with the people in the body of Christ and those who live around me, the people I come in contact with. I don't believe. We, we, have, we have seen God heal people here. We've seen people delivered here. That's a wonderful demonstration. Uh, that's, that's power ministry. We've seen the power of God come in and just do incredible, wonderful things right on the spot. Boom, there it is. You know, we send out prayer requests to our intercessors, not on a daily basis, but emergency stuff comes in and we send stuff out. And I told you all last Friday, I, there, there's this, you know, Jesus is honoring those prayers. And, and, the, and for lack of a better way to say this, and y'all please don't get mad with me, the success rate of answered prayers on Jesus' prayer line is really high. Really high. And so we've seen power ministry. We know about that. You know, he's given us strength and anointings to do different various things. But I'm going to tell you something. I need the power of Jesus in my relationship with you. So we need patience. What else would we need in terms of relationship power? Love. Fulfill our destiny. What else? Wisdom. To deal with our personal inadequacies. You know something, the hardest thing in the world for us to do is to, number one, recognize that we're not perfect and we have inadequacies, we have shortcomings and failures, and the hardest thing for us to do is call up there on that cross and allow God to deal with every single issue in our life in order to make us stronger. You know, if I'm a jerk, it's hard for me to let God deal with my jerkiness. You know, one of the things I've had the hardest time with in my life, and I'm just sharing some stuff with you this morning, and this will get where it needs to be in just a few minutes. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a world of paradoxes anyway. 
But one of the hardest things for me to deal with is whenever I'm talking to somebody, if you're talking to me and engaging me in conversation, I have had this really bad habit down through the years of thinking ahead and then interrupting you while we talk. You trying to tell me something and tell about a problem, and I interrupt you and give you the solution to the problem. And so in my case, it's been really hard for me to be able, and, I'm, you know, and this may help you in your dealings with me, because like I said, I'm praying for you to have power, so I'm giving you some power this morning. In your dealing, you know, if, if, if Be patient with me when you talk to me, because I'm telling you, my mind is just going like this all the time. Okay, But the hardest thing in the world is to identify a very sensitive area in our life and allow God to deal with it. But if we are able to deal that sensitive area and allow God to deal with it, then the power of the resurrection of Christ has flooded our life and has accomplished the crucifixion of that thing, and it becomes death to me but life to you. Okay, death to me and life to you. What else? What's some other things in a personal way that the power of Christ can be seen? What do we need the power of Christ for? Our faith level. Everybody loves that. What else on a personal level? Forgiveness. That's very good. You know, Paul got to the place in one of his epistles, and I can't pull it up exactly, but it was something to the effect, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, okay? But he got to the place, he said, in terms of forgiveness, sometimes I just have to forgive it for Jesus' sake and go on with life. So sometimes whenever, and this is it, it's when you get to the place where, you know, if, if your worst, okay, your worst enemy in the world, if you could visualize that, and I hope you, you can't put a face on because we're not supposed to put a face on our enemies, but the worst enemy situation in your world, if you can't get around that and you simply can't forgive it in your spirit, then what, what you need to do is you just need to forgive it because Jesus forgave you and go on with it. I'm just telling you, that's part of the secret to, secret to life. Now, what over here? Who was it? Yeah. They don't have to believe. If we have a strong view of premillennialism, that doesn't mean you have to. If you have a particular view of eschatology, you know, it's okay, you know, because I guarantee you if we're under the blood of Jesus, then we're going to get to the same place eventually regardless of some kind of screwy timeline we come up with, you know, and regardless of all the charts and the, and the graphs, you know, we're just going to get, we're going to get there, okay, <laughs> and we're all going to be surprised at some level, so you just, you need to get comfortable with theology and you need to throw out the things that doesn't really make any difference you need to be able to identify those things throw them out of the way and just get on with it you need to be, you need to become Berean in nature okay that doesn't mean you have to swallow everything along that comes along but you have to judge things and say you know is this worth going to war over because folks go to war over stuff okay where else do I need the power of the resurrection of Christ on a personal level purity what else Bear fruit, to have humility. If 
we were half as smart as we thought we were, we know how dumb we are. <laughs> to not let worry take its course. And, and worry about tomorrow. Fear, to deal with fear, yes. Helplessness, selflessness, thank you. Selflessness, the sacrificing of yourself, not having your own personal selfish agenda, not being so narcissistic, the obedience. You know, we could stay here the rest of the day, couldn't we? Did you know the very things that you have mentioned and the things that you have brought to, brought to the surface, it all can come under the cross. But we are so, I'm, I'm just going to step on charismatic toes. You know, I believe that Jesus, when he left this world, gave delegated authority to the body of Christ to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to spread the gospel and for people to get saved. I believe that. I believe signs, wonders, and miracles is following the church, is picking up speed every day, and there's becoming to be an active demonstration of the power of God on every corner of the globe, and it's picking up steam. Okay? I believe that. I got evidence for that. That's my story, and 